2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
3: Welcome to episode 264 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Botano.ca. The game starts now 19 plus. Please play responsibly. You have a few days left of NHL hockey. And then, of course, the uh, Christmas break. But don't worry, you got lots of uh, NFL games. If uh, you need a little itch to be scratched, Botano.ca over the holidays as we welcome in Frank Saravali to the program. And uh, Frank, are you done your Christmas shopping? Oh, yeah.
4: I was done pretty early. And uh, I'd say maybe for the fifth or sixth year in a row, never entered a mall, which is, I think, the biggest win of all. You'd buy online? Just complete online shopping. Like at some point in, uh, I think it was maybe like October. My wife had just sent me a, a DM on Instagram and dropped in there a, um, a coffee maker. She wanted a certain espresso machine and she's a coffee nut. So I kind of filed that away. That was in October or whatever. I filed it away. And then sometime in late November, ordered it and it showed up to the house. My only problem, the mistake I made was I wasn't home when it got delivered.
3: Yeah. So now she knows what she got.
4: Well, it's actually just been sitting on our counter for the last three weeks. And I was like, well, Merry Christmas. So it's uh, that, that, that's the, uh, that's the special nature of our holiday season here in the Saravali household. Oh, wow. Do All you have right, any, uh, do you have any
3: gift traditions that you have in your house? Oh, no, nah, would No, nah, I don't think so. Not. Uh, um, it's funny. My, uh, my, I'm not a, I'm very much a minimalist. My wife, uh, my, my mom even joked about it. Like when I was a kid, I would put like one thing on my Santa Claus list. I've never really wanted lots. It's not, I I just like hanging out with our family and, you know, playing games, stuff like that. We have some games we play. I have this new horse racing game that me and my buddies played on our golf trip this year. It's unbelievable. It's probably one of the greatest games. And uh, so we're going to play with uh, all like my nephews and nieces are all, they're all adults now, except for my son. So Young adults, so they'll come over and we'll play that game, and uh, they'll bring tell, a little light cash. It what is, is it? Tell tell us about it. So it's um it's a card game, and you have cards, and basically you just have like a board, and it's got twelve horses, right? And so then you roll the dice. And the uh, the first four are the scratches for that race. And so they go back. The first one you go back, then you pay a buck. If you're the second one that goes back, you pay two bucks, three bucks, or four. Now you can play at a dollar, a quarter, whatever you want. And then the other ones you roll and then they go forward. And, and obviously the combinations of seven, if the dice hit a seven, those ones are most likely. So sevens and eights and nines, you got to roll like six of them to win the race. Then you only have to roll like snake eyes twice or double sixes. Twice, mm. right? So, and then, like, honestly, it's it's pure luck. There's not a lot of skill involved. But every every hand, you're cheering with different people because now all of a sudden, if you Frank, if you have a seven and Tyler has a seven, I have a seven. We we all want the seven, right? But then the next time, the others don't. And it's we played this game for five hours on our guys' golf trip, and uh, instead, and we obviously we played for money, but it was awesome, and it was yeah, it was just super fun. So uh, you know, we've had some. Uh, there's a few competitive games, maybe sometimes. The uh, Gregor, I'm a little competitive in games. I hate people that play you, you the game. Don't games say. That don't try. Like don't I hate say. it. It's the worst. If you're gonna play the game, then play the damn game. Like I hate I'm the people you. that are like, eh, I don't really care. It's the worst.
4: So you have like basically a classy version of craps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that how you would describe it?
3: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Sure. Yeah, craps. I would say is um You can't really get on a roll because everybody rolls like you get one roll and then the next like you don't get to roll multiples. You only get to roll once.
4: And that's yeah, the but part. the the same idea prevails though that sevens are not great, eights and and sixes pay less.
3: Like the same the same strategy yeah, prevails yeah. with dice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's fun. We play that, and then we have certain like food that we always have. That's kind of what I remember more. We don't have any gifts for sure. We have more food. Yeah. We, I do have
4: one little hockey Christmas tradition. Um, every year since my son was three, I've gotten him a different Jersey from around the league and it always has like the number is the, the, you know, how old he is that Christmas. So, oh, okay. Yeah. It started at three and it has his name on it. So three, four five, you know, now we're up to 10 and, uh, this year, Santa is surprising him with a flying skate jersey from the Canucks. Ooh, nice. As, as Roberto Longo said, long live the flying skate.
3: Yes. No, that's um. Yeah, I think now that you say that, like um, there's certain gifts my son gets every year that kind of builds off of that, but it's not always a new jersey. But he he does want uh, this now he just wants hockey-related stuff, which is quite easy. So yeah. um, it's just kind
4: of cool to, to like look in his closet and see. From three to ten now, you know, he's got all these in the obviously the the little ones don't fit him anymore, which is kind of kind of cool. Also kind of brings a tear to my eye, but um, (laughs) he doesn't know which one he's getting, which is kind of also part of it. He doesn't pick it.
3: So I just got to pick a cool one from around the league. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Nice. It's good. Um, the, uh, since we, since we spoke last, uh, it happened in probably, I don't know, three or four hours, very odd timing. I can't recall the last time a coach ran a practice, did the press conference and then got fired, but, uh, maybe it was symbolic of how things have gone in Ottawa. Uh, they relieved DJ Smith, not a real surprise. We thought, can I,
4: can I stop you? Yeah. I hate when people say relieved, just say fired. Cause that's yeah. what
3: actually happened. Sure, it's not nicer. Relieved.
4: It's not nicer to say no, but, relieved. Dude, I it's think like it's when rel- people say passed away, like, no, he died.
3: Yeah, well, but I'll say relieved because died. honestly, I think re- getting rid of him was a relief before Christmas for DJ Smith. <laughs> the guy's probably stressed to the max. Like, he was just waiting. He's wa- he knew it was coming. Right? He's not dumb. Like, he knew eventually it was coming. So it's probably a relief. I, honestly,
4: I'll be honest. I did not. I, I think we all thought it was inevitable at some point. But I was not convinced they were gonna do it. And I certainly wasn't convinced they were gonna do it exactly a week before Christmas.
3: Yeah. And I you know what? I, I know people are like, oh, you can't do it. I'm like, why? He's still getting paid. What the hell is the difference? Like to me, that's whatever. Now he gets to spend time with his family at Christmas. So um he doesn't have to stress about, oh, guess what? We've lost how many of the last how many. And you know what? Geez, I might get fired next week. So I don't, I've never been one. Like, there's no Anybody who thinks there's good timing for a firing, like, give me a break. You're firing the person. Like, there's no, whether it's Tuesday, Monday, Friday, like, I know corporate corporations have this, oh, let's do it on a Tuesday, because somehow that's better. Give me a break. If you're getting fired and you don't expect it, it sucks, point Even blank. Even if you expect it, it's still
4: a two-by-four
3: to the jibs. Yeah. It like, doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I look at, it's funny. So they bring in uh, Jacques Martin and uh, Daniel Alfredson, and uh, the Senators' first game, Frank. They're up three nothing. Things are rolling, and then boom, 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 boom. They lose four three. So uh, Jacques Martin, who's a defensive specialist, they got a lot of work to do in Ottawa. And uh, I said it was never just one person as the coach. It clearly wasn't working with DJ Smith. But man, I think Ottawa's got a long ways to go. Like I look at this scenario, and I see similarities between when the orders brought in Ken Hitchcock, right for what was it, 50-some games? Hey, they are hoping that Hitch would help them. No, he didn't stay. I don't expect Jacques Martin to stay. But until the players decide they want to play more consistent defensively, I don't care who the coach is. There's not many rocket science um, defensive systems. Now, you might have to go find the odd player who wants to be better defensively, and that's probably fair about Ottawa's defensive core. But a lot of it comes from the players. you got to have back pressure in today's game. Your forwards have to help your defense more now in today's game than ever before. And Ottawa, to me, is eerily similar to what Edmonton was and at times still is. I... (laughs) I think the part for me that's disjointed
4: is it's not really the timing. It's not in how it was executed in the fact that DJ Smith ran a practice. I think to me, it's almost like I, I know that on December 6th, so 15 days ago, less than two weeks before he ended up being promoted to the bench that Jacques Martin was brought in as an advisor, but To me, what seems disjointed about it is that I think we all kind of know that Jacques Martin isn't going to be the long-term solution here. No. And if that were the case and kind of you could see that from 100 miles away, my criticism would be it really isn't that hard to find someone else that's a permanent guy in between now and when you brought in Jacques Martin as an advisor. Like teams do it in three days, let alone two weeks. And I'm not saying rush the hiring because I think, if anything, what we've learned about Michael Lauer and Steve Steos since they've taken over the Sens is they're nothing if not methodical, which I think is good. But let's take a step back. Like Jacques Martin is 71 years old, he's one of the oldest coaches in NHL history. That's yeah. not ageism, that is like, that's just a fact. And he hasn't been an NHL head coach for 12 years. It's been four since he's been behind an NHL bench in any capacity. To think that he's just going to come in and be some miracle worker, like, first off, it's going to take time. And second, my assumption would be that if Jacques Martin is the guy to maybe instill some fundamentals to help right the ship and steer you in the right direction, and ultimately he's going to pass off the baton to someone else in March or whenever it might be, why not just do it now and, and not have the intermediary step?
3: It's a very valid point, man. That's why I said, like, I looked like to, to me, it's not much different than bringing in Hitchcock and their whole, Oh, here's a defensive guy. It's somebody we know, but you're right. He's been out of the game a long time. Um, I don't know if this is a dress rehearsal for Daniel Alfredson to be in the next, I do so. Week, right. What, what if I, you're Alfie, right?
4: like, it was, it was fascinating to me that the public comments that he made this week were, well, I had to check with my wife and make sure that this was okay. Like, I don't think he has any real intention on, I it's, it's not a question of hard work because that's not what's at stake, but it's, it's the commitment to this. This is a big, if you're retired, the hours that coaches put in, the travel, the time, they're at the rink longer than anyone. It's 12-hour days every day.
3: That's a big yeah, deal. but yeah, it- I, I, don't, I don't put too much stock in what he said because people said the same thing about Paul Coffey when he got hired because Coffey's like, I wasn't really looking for the job. And, and I believe him. What he was saying was, I didn't come in here to try to get the job. I ended up with it, but he's made a big impact. Did you see Alfredson's body language on the bench, Frank, in that, like the first game? No. Alfredson's competitive guy. I think I look at, at Ottawa and I really believe that their internal standard as a group isn't high enough to win. And I'm a big believer that the players ultimately have to hold themselves accountable. It's, and you've seen it, Frank, it's like guys who come from junior, I work out, I work out really hard. And you do for a junior player. And then you got to go to the NHL and now you got to work out even harder. Right. And I think Ottawa's team just, and I say it because when I see Ottawa, I see so many similarities to Edmonton who I covered very closely for a long time and other teams that they've got, Oh, they got all this talent on paper and stuff. But Ottawa is a terrible defensive team. They've been a terrible defensive team, and they don't commit to playing good defense. We saw it in their first game. They blew a three nothing lead in in against Arizona of all teams. And so I looked at at Alfredson. And I don't know if you saw that video, um, the guys and Alfredson. You could just see it almost the disdain, like to his fore, like what are you doing here? Like you can't make that play. Like get in on the forecheck, yeah. a simple thing. And so I think Alfredson, he's a fiery guy. Uh, you're right. Like is he a long term answer? I don't know, but I think they need some people to rattle a few cages in the Ottawa players. Well,
4: I agree with that. But my point is the guy who was the permanent end all be all who's supposed to be the replace, the true replacement for DJ Smith is the guy that should have been rattling cages. And it's great that hopefully Martin comes in and, and instills some of those principles that you're talking about. I just don't, I don't think Daniel, I I could be wrong. I don't think he's a candidate. And I think
3: maybe that's easier though, right? Maybe.
4: But I think part of it is, is that the last thing you want to do if you're the Sens after all this work to get Daniel Alfredson back in the fold, because relations were so strained during the Eugene Melnick era is to have him come back. He's the coach for two and a half years and you have to fire him and he never comes back. I don't think they want to be in that situation. I personally don't think he wants to be in that situation. So I'd be surprised if he ends up being the guy, but I, this, it was possible to go through this exercise and end up now, especially since people could see this coming for five, six weeks to end up with someone on your bench in the short term to skip a step, not saying it's the only way just saying it seems like the cleaner way. And By the way, I I do have a story up that just got posted on dailyfaceoff.com. I looked at five candidates to be the next Sens coach. You want me to rattle them off real quick? Sure. Dean Evison, Jay Woodcroft without reading. Yep. So you got uh, the first one is actually John Gruden, who won an OHL championship with Steos and Ann Lauer in Hamilton and also has been an NHL assistant coach for the last five seasons. He played 22 games for the Sens in his career, and right now he's currently the head coach of the Toronto Marlies. So John Gruden, one, two, Jay Woodcroft, three, Dean Evason, four, is Claude Julien, who lives in the Ottawa Valley, is from the Ottawa Valley, and I think is, is chomping at the bit to get back on a bench. And five would be a sort of way outside the box, a name that I haven't really heard talked much about, but had meant a lot to the market and the franchise is Chris Kelly. Hmm. He's been retired for a few years now, um, started out working in Sens player development. He's been, he moved over to the Boston Bruins. He also worked in player development there before transitioning to the bench. And for the last three years, he's been an assistant coach for not only Jim Montgomery, but also Bruce Cassidy, two of the best coaches in the league. I'm wondering if, you know, look, he doesn't have the experience, um, but he was always known in his time in Ottawa as one of the smartest players on the, on the team. And, and frankly, in the game that I wonder if the little experience he's gotten behind a bench with those two guys might've been enough to rub off on him, to give him an opportunity. I think it's probably premature and a long shot, but Chris Kelly, to me, is an intriguing name.
3: Uh, the Gruden one makes a lot of sense for many reasons. I think uh, we've learned, you know, and Lauer likes guys he's worked with. He's had success before. Uh, the trust. fact that he's, you know, the, the fact that he's been, you know, he's got pro experience helps. I don't think there's any question about that. And I'm a big believer that at some point you can't just keep recycling. And not like Jay Woodcroft's not recycling. He hasn't been a head coach that long. Um, but like Claude Julien, if I was Ottawa... I, like he's fourth on your list. I think that's probably the right spot for him. i would uh, i think that there's there's younger guys I get that Claude Julian wants to get back in and he might get back in. but um i don't I don't know if Claude Julian's coaching style and his approach works for today's NHL game based on you've got to have offense. you got to still play defense, but you got to have a semblance of offense if you want to win. It's just how it is, right? And um he's never really done that hmm. i I think
4: people would be more intrigued to understand. The names that didn't make the list that like people in Ottawa are clamoring for Patrick Waugh. Just knowing Steve Steos a tiny bit and having to chat with Michael Anlauer a couple times. I, I'm sorry, like Patrick Waugh's personality, it doesn't strike me as a fit with those two guys, but I could be entirely wrong. Craig Barubi is obviously out there and available and a good coach. Um Jay McKee also won an OHL championship with the Anlauer Group and Steos in Hamilton. Um, he has 800 games of NHL playing experience, not much NHL experience as a coach. Uh, I think that makes him a bit of a long shot. Um, trying to think of some of the other names. Brad Shaw, trying to think of other names that have been floating out there in the ether that people have wanted to tie to the Sens. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see Bruce Boudreau coming, you know, I don't see, uh, Gerard Gallant. I could be wrong, but those are all names that, you know, obviously have filtered through.
3: Well, the, the interesting thing now, um, Frank is, you know, and we've talked about this a lot and you've talked about it a lot. Like, I, and I know it's only one game, but I, I wonder You know, at some point, and it's not been that long, it's only been, I think, um, two and a half years. But do you think Buffalo, like, are they they on the verge of suddenly considering a coaching change, do you think, at all? No. Look, here's the wild card here.
4: I think... Don Granado has gotten so much respect from his players and they really like playing for him. And I think Kevin Adams is right on board there. The real wild card in this is what does Terry Pagula think? Does Terry Pagula wake up as owner one day and say, you know what? We're making changes. That's always like, you, you never really know. Like, does the owner snap at some point and say, Look at the apathy developing in our marketplace after we were finally getting somewhere this season. Fans had come back. There's a buzz. Um, It's this. It sent a chill down my spine reading Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News the other day after that dreadful loss to Columbus where he said, it's another nuclear winter in Buffalo. (laughs) And I just thought it was such a perfect way to explain it. He's, I think he said something like for a team that can't get out of its own way. And you, you think they're finally going to turn the corner this year and, and start heading in the right direction and things go haywire. It just, whatever's happening there isn't working. And I don't know if it's complacency. I don't know if it's um, part of it might be, you know, lack of, I don't want to say experience, but um, there's someone in there like they're not getting pushed. And I don't know what the answer is, but the Sabres just don't look right.
3: No, no, they're not close to last year. Um, I, I thought the one challenge would be they had a lot of inexperience overall in goal. And I think that's a tough position to have inexperience at. Um their defense core, they did bring in some experience there, but you know, it hasn't gone very well. And yeah, like that. It's it's funny, Frank. Like Granado's one of only 10 coaches in the NHL who's been on the job longer than two years.
4: It's only scary. Ten. I I in making that list, I still can't believe that Jay Woodcroft had won three playoff rounds and got one full 82 game season.
3: Yeah. Oh that's not
4: nah. that's banana sandwich.
3: Yeah, so like you look at uh, Tourney in Arizona, Haxtell, Granado, Ruff, Keefe, McClellan, Brindamore, Bredner, Sullivan, and Cooper. Those are the only coaches who have been on the job longer than two years. So it's... Uh, There's
4: only six, I think, that have been around since pre-pandemic. Uh Yeah, yeah. it's... Keep,
3: yeah, that's it.
4: It's so, a small list, I mean it's yeah. it's insane. Sheldon yeah. Keefe has been he, he just hit four years on the job in November, and he's the longest tenured Canadian coach by a wide margin.
3: Oh, yeah, it is uh well, Marty St. Louis is the 11th longest now in the NHL. <laughs> I feel like he got like here
4: he, yesterday.
3: Yeah, exactly. so that is uh it's uh oh, it's would kind you of-
4: like would you make a coaching change in Buffalo?
3: Would you let these guys off the hook? Yes. Well, I'm a big believer. In no, at some point, I no, I probably wouldn't. I, I'd want to see the, uh, how the season goes, how they respond, what happens in the second half, because I agree too often. It's like, Oh, coach gets blamed and everybody else sings Kumbaya. And eh, it's okay. But I'm not saying that the players don't care, but um, you know, to quote uh, Michelle Taryn, they say they care, but they don't care. So <laughs> still one of the greatest post game. <laughs> Riff jobs of all time. Oh my God. That's there, the dude. one of the, we should bring that one back. God,
4: it was so good at some <laughs> point, And I don't know if he's ever told this story publicly, but at some point we need to get Rob Rossi on the pod to tell just an unreal Michelle Terry and story from post game oh. one time. He, he so is so good. God, that was funny.
3: But, um, uh, I would, I wouldn't do it if I'd be honest, but that's why I was like, there's lots of coaches. I wouldn't have fired that uh, teams have fired and and lots of times it doesn't, it doesn't lead to much change. That's, what's crazy about it. Like yeah, it I really struggle with
4: it. this. Uh, this, this Woodcroft change has really given me a lot of pause over the last few weeks because I like, I, I agree with you. I think Paul Coffey has, has done a huge, and I, I actually have a pod with Chris Knobloch dropping today on, frankly speaking, I went to Oilers practice yesterday in New Jersey and I'm fascinated to see what happens here with the Oilers and Chris Knobloch, but you can't tell me that this Oiler team wouldn't have started doing
3: all the same things they're doing right now under Jay Woodcroft. Well, their defense wouldn't have, Frank, honestly. I think coffee to Manson, that's the, that's, there's a significant difference in approach between those two on the back end. Um, the the power play getting better. I would agree. The power play is being very good. McDavid um, doing McDavid things again. Yeah, like, come like on. that stuff would have happened. But the I think the defense play for sure. I don't think would have changed because that wasn't that wasn't anything that they'd really discussed. Like it was a real the the defense. I, I would argue it's probably been more Paul Coffey's message to the blue line now. And Chris Noblak. And the other thing, Frank, uh, they changed Mark Stewart. Put him in charge of the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. And and because the, the penalty kill was awful and really had struggled outside of a 20 game stretch. That's the one part under Woodcroft that was never really good was the penalty kill outside of, you know, down the stretch last year when they were 82 percent, I think it was. So um, that, I think those two areas, I'm not not necessarily head coach, but I think maybe the assistant coach in the back end, there was a change in philosophy.
4: Yeah, I agree. It's been that part has been huge, but you could have also maybe made that change without. Throwing the head coach out
3: as well. Yeah, no, and that would have been a conversation. Yeah, say this is what we're going to do. What do you think? Maybe Jay Woodcroft would have resisted that,
4: by the way. I don't don't want to speak for him. But um, to put a bow on the Sabres, though, like to get back to that, I didn't want to dive too much into the Oilers, is I think where they went wrong this summer is, I I love the approach from Kevin Adams one year ago. So summer 2022. Where he, when we've talked about this, and, I, and I've talked about it with him also on a Frankly Speaking episode, he drew a line in the sand and he said, we're not, like, he watched the Sens go out and, and sign a bunch of guys. Remember, that was when they signed Claude Giroux and a few other people that they brought in. It was the summer of Pierre, if you remember that, in Ottawa. And a couple other teams really went wild in that summer trying to improve their team. And the Sabre said, you know what, we're not bringing in anyone to this team that is going to get a vet that's going to get in the way of a young kid. And I love that approach because it was so disciplined. And it was, the whole idea was, we're giving our young guys an opportunity to solve the problems that we have for us, as opposed to running around and chasing our tail and you know, not getting anywhere and overspending and getting into cap hell in the process. So that was great. And they took a huge step, 91 points. And I'm sure his thought process was, okay, well, let's just see that natural growth one more time. Let's see how big of a step they take. The problem is there were still some pretty clear roster holes that they didn't address. And when you're hoping for all of those things that happened last year to come true again and then take a step forward, it how many times have we seen that, development in the NHL is not a straight line. Not only that, but a couple things go haywire. Tage Thompson scores at a 28 goal pace. Sorry to tell you, Mr. Uh, Tage Thompson fan club president, but Tage Thompson scores at a 28 goal pace instead of 50 and a bunch of other things happen. You run into a couple injuries here or there. Devin Levi, maybe not ready for the bright lights yet. And all of a sudden, you're at the bottom of your division and you go, well, how the hell did we get here? To me, if they had sort of went out and addressed one or two of those spots, instead of kind of more or less doing nothing, I think they'd be in a lot better position today.
3: Well, they did bring in veterans on the blue line. They thought Clifton and Johnson to help out and not take ice time from the two top guys, right. And Darlene and power. Uh, they didn't really bring in any forwards, I guess, other than Greenway. Um, like they you, tried for Patrick like, Kane.
4: Like I, I get like, not yeah. everything has come together and maybe they were in on guys that we did, you know, that just didn't materialize, but not addressing the right side of your forward group, like, and not addressing certain parts of your forward group. I I'm sorry. Like Eric Johnson, no offense, love EJ. He can't be your headline addition for your off season. Yeah, no, that's probably fair. You, and I, then to expect to be a playoff team. I'm so, like, it just, it doesn't materialize. Out of thin air and, and osmosis.
3: No, the Thompson injury. And hey, let's call a spade a spade. Thompson being banged up this year, which obviously hasn't helped him. But um, like Casey Middlestad's had, I thought, a pretty good breakout year for them. Um, you know, uh, Paterka is kind of the similar player that, that, that they were hoping last year. Guy who's, you know, on pace to be a 30 goal score. He's been is, unreal. Uh,
4: yeah, and I, like, I love part of the pieces to this team. All I'm saying is, and, and look, Skinner's been banged up of late. Greenway, I, I get it. Um, you can't hope and wish and pray. Like they, I think they needed some front office magic
3: this summer that they didn't get. And I think that's, what's really hurt them. Yeah. I think their mistake, Frank was going with all youth and goal. I'm sorry. Like I would had, you know, Devin Levi, I would have, it just doesn't happen. Like Tom Barrasso is the massive outlier ever. You need time in the American league. Like don't care how good you are in junior NCAA, man, it's a massive jump. And that's why no one really does it. Um, I looked at the the thing, though, that I was cautious about last year, Ottawa, Buffalo, even with all their success, Frank, they gave up the second most goals five on five. And that is not a recipe for success. And they're struggling, again, defensively five-on-five five as a group. And last year, they were able to outscore their issues. They're not outscoring them five-on-five. Five. And so that, to me, is the, uh, the one big challenge there. in Buffalo is, can they improve their five-on-five five defensive play?
4: I, I'm with you, and part of it would just involve getting some stops. Um, I would have probably made the same bet, though. Because how many times on this show, in just the last month, have we used the term goaltending as voodoo? Would you rather, Would first off, it's really hard to entice someone on the goaltending market to come play for you on a short-term one-year deal. You got to have a really good team in order to do that. And if you know that Devin Levi is going to be the guy at some point and you gave him a seven-game run last year to close out the season and you saw 905 hockey, yes, super small sample size. And I know, I agree with you that what he was attempting to do, almost no one, even the most pedigreed goalies haven't skipped playing in the AHL. Harry Price, go back through the last 25 years. Everyone's done it for the most part. I still would have bet on Devin Levi because whether it was that or spending a million and a half bucks on name another vet goalie, James Reimer or Cam Tal, like pick a guy, like at some point you might've run into the same, save percentage anyway. That's just how the, the position works. I'd at least rather find out with my own guy. So I can't slam him for the goaltending decision. It's more so for me
3: that like the NHL is not a developmental league. Uh, I would have had, you know what, bring in that other vet. And if he has the same say percentage, but Devin is playing great in the American League, his confidence is high. And then he comes in the next year. And now you're like, all right, or even halfway through the season. That's all I think. I'm a big believer that way too many teams try to rush players. We see it all the time. at top five picks, it's specifically forwards, and it does not work lots of the times. And, you know, with goaltending, hell, you talk about it like veteran goalies. From year to year, can have massive changes. I, I just, I'm not a big believer in rushing young players to the NHL. You see it all the time, and then be like, "Oh, he's a bust." I'm like, "Was he a bust because they made a stupid decision to put him in a position he wasn't ready for?" Okay, and then your confidence is lost.
4: I, I agree with you, but I don't think his confidence is going to be lost. Let you me just right. rattle off for you the guys who have played goal for the Buffalo Sabers in the last <laughs> five oh, years. Yeah. L- listen to the list; it's unbelievable. So obviously last year they had Eric Comrie and Uka and Pekalukainen has been pretty good this year, UPL. But Craig Anderson, Aaron Dell, Michael Hauser, Malcolm Subban, Dustin Tokarski, Carter Hutton, Jonas Johansson, and then before that they had uh, Chad Johnson.
3: Yeah, Linus Olmark, man. That's Linus the one Olmark and go. Robin
4: Leonard were there and both of them, they let get away.
3: Yeah, like the the Linus Allmark this Linus Allmark only played fifty-four games for them. He had a nine sixteen say percentage.
4: What? Yeah, like, guess what? They had made one they made one of the biggest offers on the market to keep him. And he said, I'm not going back there.
3: Okay. Yeah. They oh. they
4: I think their offer was right in line with the uh, Boston Bruins. And you know who else was very close to signing Linus Allmark, I think that year? The Toronto Maple Leafs.
3: Well, they would have liked it. It's been... uh, Yeah, you're right. If the player doesn't want to go there, then there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how much you offer him. If he doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to go. Uh, Let's bring in Tyler Uremchuk to the uh, program. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
3: Hi, how you doing?
0: I am doing good, gentlemen. I'm back and ready to go with a new edition of Buy or Sell. As always, it is delivered by DoorDash for a limited time. Our Canadian listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 more. When you download the DoorDash app, And use the promo code NATION25. It's the holiday weekend. You're throwing a big party. DoorDash can be your holiday hack this weekend as you uh, attempt to get through a busy couple of days. Um, Let's dig into things here. We got some spicy comments from Devon Taves the other day after the Avs lost to the Blackhawks. He said, quote, I think we've got some guys who think they're playing well, and I think they're kidding themselves at this point. He went on to say a little bit more, too. Uh, So your first question here for fill in the blank. Devon Taves comments were blank, Frank. Healthy.
4: I know people have looked at that and said, oh, this is divisive. This is negative. This is a team that's in shambles. I'd say if it's making it out to the media, it was probably already said three to five to eight times privately in the group, and the message isn't being received. It's kind of rare to have a player on the team, a defenseman delivering that message publicly, but I love it. Not just because it's spicy, but because it's honest. This team is really good. They're dialed in for the most part. Usually they're at the top of their division, I don't have any issue with it at all. And I don't know why people have taken it as this huge. Oh my God, the sky is falling in Denver. Look at the abs. This is good. This is what good teams do. And this is how they talk to each other privately
3: to try and get things on the right page. Okay. hundred percent, man. To me, I'd say it's it's a winning attitude. So they won the cup in 2022. Now they did not play well in the playoffs last year. They have high expectations, right? You, the way they lot, they're not happy. So now you come in, this is the time to do it. They got, they're got. they in fifth place in the NHL. Had they lost seven or eight in a row, then you try to maybe band together and sing kumbaya and make sure everything's good. But but to me, it was also how he delivered it. Very calm, didn't raise his voice, wasn't yelling. He didn't specify an individual. He just said, we got some guys in here, plural. We got to play better. Simple. I, I, th- I think it's great. Like, to me, you have... Too often, and I think people forget the internal bar is always going to be set by the players because the coach can tell you everything he wants. He doesn't step on the ice for a second. The players are the ones who either, you know, if if you have a terrible system, the players have to play it. Well, then you maybe got an issue. But for the most part, there's very few simple ones. It's about a commitment from within. The coach is there to massage egos, motivate guys, you know, be a communicator with them. Obviously, you send in some some notes on a penalty kill or power play that can help and even on a certain four check come playoff time. But I look at Devon Taves and he's like, hey, guys, we know who our best players are and he's one of their better players and he's probably a quiet leader. I loved it. And I really liked how he delivered it. Like it was he was so calm. He wasn't raising his voice. He wasn't yelling or screaming because sometimes that can lose the message. He just said, hey we got too many guys in here who aren't playing as well as they can. And you watch, I I think this will be great. You do it. What it was. He said it on what the 19th of December that when they're in fifth place in the whole NHL, it's perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I joke. By the way,
4: I think that distinction you just made is incredibly important. Listen to the audio and the video and watch the video as opposed to just taking the quote and blowing it up on a quote board that you read on social media It sounds totally different than it
0: looks, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah, 100%. Um, All right, let's move along here. Austin Matthews is on one of his usual heaters here. Five multi-goal efforts in his last seven games. Uh, He's ripping it up, leads the NHL in goals once again. So it's time to ask a question that I feel like we ask every year around this time. Austin Matthews has a blank percent chance of getting to 70 goals this year, Jason. Well, 70 is just so damn hard, man.
3: Like, um, you know, he had 60, McDavid said 64, Pasternak 62, Ovechkin 65 way back, uh, you know, over a decade ago. I'm going to say 5% chance, maybe two, because rightly or wrongly, Matthews usually misses a few games. And right now he's on pace for 72 goals. And on pace is on pace. We all know it's harder the more games you play to maintain that pace. Then you throw in, if all of a sudden he's going to miss three or four games due to a nicked up injury or something, well, that makes it even more difficult, right? So it's not that he's not capable. I think Mostyn Matthews is without question the best goal scorer in the NHL today. It's the best goal scorer in the NHL. I don't really, honestly, I don't think it's very close. Did you see the goalie, his second goal last game? Like, Are you kidding me? How many guys can make that shot? Like it was ridiculous and he's doing it over and over again. So he's the best shooter in the game. So I'd love to see him get 70. It's hard even when you're healthy. And even if he only misses two or three games, I hope he doesn't, that just makes it more difficult. So yeah, I'll give him a 5% chance. Ooh, five seems low. Given all that you just said, I, I, I,
4: agree with you in thinking that the, to me, the only thing that gets in his way, it's not, ability or consistency or anything. Cause it, it's the casual nature with which he scores that I think is so jaw dropping. It's like, he's not pressing for it, which is, is the amazing part about his game. Um, I, I just have the question of his health because he does miss five games or so every year. Um, I'm going to say a 30, I think he's got a 30% chance to get there. Ooh.
0: I, I was going to be somewhere in the middle there, I guess I was thinking more like 15 to 20 in that range. Cause I do think, I mean, it's possible one of these years he's due to stay healthy. Right. But he has already missed the one game because of an illness. So that'll already throw off his on pace for 72 goals. No, it's you know, it's, it's
4: it, even including the one game oh, really? that he's missed. He's still on track for 72. Oh. So yeah. um, that's the part that for me, I'm like, Ooh, he already missed one and it's still 72. I think he's, I think he's got a pretty decent chance. And and you know what's funny also about watching him pretty closely? Like, we already established last pod that he's not the Leafs MVP this season. That's William Nylander. But to he, date, he could to, end up being. He could be. But my point is, I don't even really think Austin Matthews, ha- like this season is not as good as his Hart Trophy season. He's had a bunch of games where he's been really not great. So, but the puck's gone in. So I wonder what happens if he actually, if his game is a little bit better, if that makes any sense. Well, hey, first of
3: all, as somebody who loves offense, like only eight guys ever have scored 70 goals. It hasn't happened since Solani and McGillney had 76 in 1993. So we're talking 31 years ago, right? Um, you know, Gretzky did it, what, four times? Brett Hall did it. Three and Lemieux two. I think they're the only guys who have done it twice. And then you got five guys who did it once. Like who are the I other five? You, um, Esposito Curry, Nichols, Solani, McGill. It, yeah, it's Nichols is the one every time that I'm like, yeah. I can't
4: believe he scored seventy.
3: Yeah, It's seventy and one fifty, like yeah. mind blowing. Great year for him. But uh, I look at at um, at Matthews and. I like, I think 60, it sounds crazy to say 60 is a lock almost because it's so hard to score 60, but he looks halfway there. Yeah, I know. Like it's almost, it's crazy when you, when you just look at, at how easy he's, he makes goal scoring look right now. And that's, what's impressive to me. But like that, his second goal last game, Frank was one of the best shots that I have seen. I couldn't believe, I was just like, are you joking? And he was just kind of like, like it's on and off his stick so fast. Like he has 25 goals, man. There's only 80 guys all of last year who scored 80 goals. I think he'll be at 30 here, maybe by the end of the calendar year, for God's sakes. Right. And last year, players who scored 30, there was like 54 of them. Like it's nuts. Like it's hard to score goals. And he makes it look easy right now.
4: I I know that he's played more games, but Brock Besser having 23 to this
0: point is also ridiculous. Yeah, oh yeah. He's going to be a 40 goal guy. Frank, you mentioned the nights where Matthews isn't at his best, still finding ways to be productive. There's been six games this year where he's been held the under three shots on goal. Three of those six games are still multi point efforts for uh, for Austin Matthews. So it's been a pretty impressive run. All right. Last one for you guys quickly. Your answer to this one may or may not involve the Toronto Maple Leafs. But earlier this week on DFO Live, Colby Cohen and I were debating how many cup contenders there are in the West versus the East. Your question today is based around the Eastern Conference, though. There are blank, true Stanley Cup contenders right now in the Eastern Conference, Frank. Three. Can you share the names?
4: Well, that's a different question. Uh, Boston,
0: Florida, and the New York Rangers. Boston, Florida. It's interesting to include Florida in there. They are sixth in the conference in points percentage, but almost everybody has them in there. Jay?
3: yeah i'm gonna i think i might have to add toronto because finding ways to win is important and Dude, the eagles the, were saying that all year look what's happened <laughs> yeah well fair enough but i like toronto's had a lot of injuries guys that's the other thing eagles haven't had a ton of injuries frank to key players like look at the back end in toronto they were playing no offense probably three guys who most considered ahl defensemen for a lot of their games So they've, they're being ravaged there, you know, goaltending injuries. Now Um, I actually, I think if Toronto gets healthy um, and then I assume tree leaving is going to add someone, I would put him in that category because, you know, Austin Matthews uh, gives them a a, a one shot wonder that can kill you anytime in the playoffs. That helps Um, to me is if they can up, they, they need to add a defenseman. So that's why it's a caveat because I think they will. So I'm going to put Toronto in the East. So,
4: here's why I didn't. And I knew when I answered this, that this was going to be a thing until that defense looks better. Like I agree with you that they have found ways to win and it's been impressive. They've got the most points in the NHL since November 10th. The thing for me is if that's your defense core and that's all we have to go on right now, it's not Stanley cup caliber and it ain't close And then you add in the fact that they have not shown us anything in the playoffs in the last five years, at least to be able to tell us that this is a team that can is capable of a deep run. I'm sorry. Like between that and the goaltending and the playoff woes, just it's, they're not a contender for me right now. They, I, I reserve the right to edit that decision when it comes to March and the, and the trade deadline. But I would also say the same about Carolina. Like, with Carolina's goaltending, you're not a cup contender. So until that's fixed, or until they start playing better, I'm not, they're not in that category for me.
0: All right. All right. That is a wrap on this week's edition of Fill in the Blank, delivered by DoorDash.
3: Well, that wraps up uh, a pod, Frank. Uh, before we go, uh, where did, did you? are you still in? The, no, uh, I got
4: smashed Survivor. in the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. Day one, out again. Oh, I am I am utterly worthless in this pool. Close. I'm telling you, it is legit hard. If you haven't gotten in on the action yet, go to dailyfaceoffsurvivor.com new game every week every Monday, you can win free food from Wendy's. Win, you could still get your hands on 5000 cash. The the leader so far in points, I think has 16 for the season, so 16 correct picks. You could do that over the last half of the season and get your hands oh. on 5000 cash. Now, Frank, have you at least won the French toast Sticks one week? I haven't won one prize from Wendy's, no. <laughs> I suck at fantasy. I suck at gambling, which is why I don't do it. Um, I, I'm I'm not good at it.
3: All right. Go to dailyfaceoff.com. Click on the uh, Wendy Survivor Pool. Just make your goal that you want to beat Frank. Like, how many correct picks do you have?
4: Uh, I think six.
3: Six. All right. Oh, but it's, all right. it's been since like November 1st. Like it's not great. All right. Okay. Well, there you go. Hey, Frank, good news is maybe, uh, maybe you can have a better second half. Maybe you can be like the Carolina goaltending, the Toronto defense, the Edmonton defense, and suddenly emerge in the second half. It can only get better from here.
2: Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarah Valley and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts
5: from to never miss an episode.
0: Because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear. And you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.